Although it sounds like I took a big risk, I planned for it. You always want to think two steps ahead from where you are today. And I've always done that consistently. Even when I got a job on day one, I knew what I wanted to get on the next job position and the next one. And right now, in terms of business, I always try to plan long term. As long as I can sustain the cash flow in the short term, I'm okay. But everything I do is is very long term. I see a lot of people that are going after numbers. I, I don't want to do it at the expense of the lifestyle. Welcome to the Road to 100 podcast, a show for those of you who are out there building empires. We're your hosts, Cody Littlewood and Pasha Esfendieri. Together, we'll embark on the journey to the coveted 100 million mark, as well as striving for excellence in every aspect of our lives. Here at the Road to 100, we believe that true success goes beyond financial prosperity. That's why we bring you insightful conversations with top entrepreneurs and trailblazers who share their unfiltered experiences in building wealth, as well as cultivating fulfilling relationships and maintaining optimal health. This podcast is perfect for ambitious entrepreneurs, health enthusiasts, and anyone seeking genuine and transformative insights from those who dare to go all out. Welcome to The Road to 100, and we will see you at the finish line. Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of Road to 100 Pod. We got an amazing friend of mine here locally in Miami, Mehdi. I've known you for years and we hang out all the time and I still don't, I always am afraid I'm going to pronounce your name wrong. Kachani. Kachani. Yeah, that's perfect. So Mehdi is a badass. He's got a ton of experience. He used to be a high-level executive um, and W-2 in sales and uh, has an MBA from Wharton. He's has a general contracting company, a plumbing company, real estate brokerage. He has like, I don't know, 12 or 13 different businesses <laughs> at least and uh, is, a, is a real estate investor as well. And I think that's what he spends the most majority of his time doing now is, is real estate investing. So Anyways, Mehdi, thank you so much for coming on, man. We are so stoked to have you. Uh, thank you, Cody. Thank you, Pasha. You know, I'm a big fan of both of you. So it's a privilege for me to be here. No, it's it's a privilege to have you here. I love, uh, so I know Mehdi super well. Our families hang out a lot. One, one kid that's like the same age as my my kid and then uh, another awesome son, lovely wife. And so I, I've gotten to know you really well. Do you want to give us a little bit of your background? I mean, everything from kind of the quick summary of where you grew up and what you did for the first, maybe call it is it okay to call it maybe the first half of your uh, of your professional career and now what you're doing now and, and what you've built in the world of entrepreneurship after leaving your w2 yes absolutely absolutely uh, again thank you guys for having me let me start first with my where i come from i was born and raised in morocco eventually i've moved to montreal i'm i'm like you cody i'm a, a tech guy I, I was trained in engineering I have a bachelor's and a master's in engineering. And then, uh, so that's how my career started. But even though I studied engineering for a very long time, I knew from the get-go that I didn't want to be an engineer and wanted to eventually transition to business. I took my, so I did a thesis uh, during my master's that I went to present in China during a, an IEEE conference. And one of the guys there gave me his business card after my presentation and I did a project for them. And eventually they hired me to work in a double project based in LA, your hometown, Pasha. I loved my time by the way in LA, great, great time. Uh, and then uh, eventually I decided to do an MBA to transition from my tech engineering experience to uh, business. And I got into uh, the Wharton uh, School of Business, probably one of the best experiences in my life. I know some people debate whether you should 
get an MBA or not, if it's worth it. I did get in debt as a result of going to Wharton. I think I had $170,000 in debt, which is not the most exciting part of it, but uh, it was definitely worth it. So after I did that, I joined Medtronic and I had a very, very traditional corporate career. I took different roles in Medtronic. I launched an insulin pump that was featured on Time magazine. So I, I took on roles in marketing, market development. I partnered with hospitals across Latin America to start heart failure clinics. Eventually, I led sales in the Caribbean and Central America, which was absolutely unbelievable because I, I was forced to travel to Curaçao, Cuba, Jamaica, Costa Rica, horrible places, of course. You were forced <laughs> to I'm travel. I'm kidding here, but yes, yes, yes. Without exaggeration, I, I did have meetings with hospital executives where I look down and my feet are on the sand. I look around and I have this amazing landscape and phenomenal. Yeah, that was a, a great uh, experience, focused in sales. And eventually I, I, I did the general management for Medtronic where I led two business units, uh, the coronary and hypertension business within Medtronic. And as I was doing that, I decided to invest in real estate and transition out of a corporate career. I was a W2, and I'm happy to talk about that transition in more details later on, into uh, real estate investing. And I can tell you from that experience investing in real estate, I was able to transform my life literally by creating a freedom that I would have otherwise not had. And that freedom gave me time with my loved ones. And, and I, I enjoy a lifestyle today that I wouldn't have had if I decided to be conservative back then. And at the same time as I invested in real estate, I launched uh, multiple companies. I started with uh, property management, which is low barrier to entry business, not very differentiated, but uh, it was uh, worth the experience. If you want to learn about real estate, if you work in property management, that's a hardcore real estate experience. You'll have to roll up your sleeves and learn about the yeah, ins and outs of real estate. And then I launched a general contracting business, a brokerage business, and the plumbing business. Uh, more recently and that's where i am so i i remember when you and i first met we were uh we were driving up to sundance to go skiing because uh, you'd come in i don't know if if pasha knew you or if dan knew you nobody knew you. no one knew you <laughs> how did you get in i i showed up i think what you did is you, you sent a message in the champions uh, group ah, okay okay so i I was putting together a group of entrepreneurs and the first one, now we have like a line out the door, but the first event that we did for like badass entrepreneurs kind of all to get together, group of 20 maxed out. We had to like, we had to go out there and recruit. I thought maybe Dan or Pasha invited you. You knew no one and you just showed up. It's awesome. I remember being on the chairlift with you and you're like, yeah, I just bought like all these apartments. You just done it. You're like, I quit my job and like the same day or like the day I closed on these apartments, I quit my job. And I'm like, do you have any savings? You're like, mm, no. <laughs> like, I can't remember what you said exactly, but you're like, no, this better work out. <laughs> I was actually negative because the, like a week before we're, we're getting a bridge loan, the week before the insurance quote came and it was much higher than what was in the, uh, whatever the underwriting was. And they asked me to come up with another $250,000 that I didn't have. So I was minus 250,000. Oh man. Jeez. And you, but, but I remember talking with you, I mean, only a few short months later and you turn the property around and you're like, yeah, this is like, this provides our covers all of our base. And now I'm just going to go start a bunch of businesses. Yes. Yes. So that one property, which was 27 units, uh, essentially gave me uh, my financial freedom. It's more than covers for uh, our uh, expenses. Right now, personally, we have uh, 62 units 
and uh, that one deal was 27. But uh, in, in our business plan, we projected 1500 in rental income and instead we're getting now 2000. And 1500 was already like very, a very uh, aggressive and best case scenario. During COVID, like I think from 2021 to 2022, Miami, the county has seen the highest increase of all counties in the US, the highest increase in, in rents. I think it was 58%. That's, well, that's because everyone from my city is moving over there, which I would, I, I'm considering it also. Like I, I want to get out of Los Angeles. I understand. Don't come in June because you're coming in June. So don't come in June and then be like, make your decision. You got to come in like November, December, no, I know, I know, I know. But I also love the network that's out there. But I mean, Miami has done so good. And one thing I, I want to say on that is, you know, I, I did, we, we met, what, two years ago at that Sundance that Cody put together? And and man, just seeing your transition and, you know, and, and your growth is incredible, you know, and you're just, but, you, but you're a lifestyle guy also. So how do you find time for all of this? Yeah, I mean, regarding a comment earlier, I did start the businesses while I was, uh, while I had the W-2. And uh, what I did first is uh, I pulled my wife out of her W-2 as we started the property management and she had a lower income than I did. So it made more sense. But I started stacking these businesses in preparation of a potential transition for my W-2. But at some point I was assisting my wife with the businesses and I had the most rest of all the business leaders in, I was running the business for that time. I, I had the biggest responsibility to, uh, in terms of revenue for the region and despite that i got my license in gc that you mentioned cody and got all the other licenses but i had i had to figure it out it's it's i wanted to mitigate my risk although it sounds like uh, i took a big risk i planned for it and uh, I, I i organized a webinar last week and i told the, the guys on the webinar is you always want to think two steps ahead from where you are today. And I've always done that consistently. Even when I got a job on day one, I knew what I wanted to get on the next job position and the next one. And right now, in terms of business, I always try to plan long-term. As long as I can sustain uh, the cash flow in the short term, I'm okay. But everything I'm thinking, I'm placing my chips and everything I do is, is very long-term. And to your point, Pasha, lifestyle is very important to me. I would not, I, I see a lot of people that are going after numbers. Uh, I, I don't want to do it at the expense of the lifestyle. Uh, so I didn't know that. I think I maybe missed up, mixed up your timeline. So thanks for the clarification. Cause I was like, I remember sitting on the chairlift being like, holy shit, man, that is like, that is balls. But you, uh, sounds like you kind of planned everything and you layered everything in and, and you took a calculated risk. Exactly. Yeah. I do think risk is like a huge part of success though. It's hard to win without taking risks. And you were one of these people, right? Let, let's be honest. You went to Wharton, uh, you know, you're not an idiot. You're probably top, you know, top 1% of people in IQ. I mean, Wharton is not an easy school to get into. I'm a hustler, man. I'm very resourceful and I know how to get things done. Honestly, I don't. Yeah. You got a general contracting license while having a W2, while running a property management uh, business, while buying a, you know, your first multifamily property. Then you got a plumbing contractor license and your brokerage license and your property man. I mean, you've done a lot, but there are a lot of people that get a lot of certifications and licenses and that put in the time, but they don't ever take the risk, right? They don't take that leap of faith and bet on themselves. So I know 
countless people with Harvard educations, Yale educations, et cetera, that are doing much worse than guys I know with high school educations. But honestly, when it, when I really, when I look at it, I'm like, this person's a crazy high output person, but they've never taken that. They've never bet on themselves, right? They've never, they've never gone out and taken that leap of faith. And like, I know a lawyer, you know, NYU, Columbia, super smart guy. He could, he could build whatever he could build his own kind of his own practice, his own, his own, you know, I keep trying to push it. I'm like, dude, get it, do a title company, but it just comes down to that leap. Um, so I'd love to dig in a little bit about, I guess, you know, that leap of going from all that security and people use the excuse all the time. They're like, I got a wife, I got kids, et cetera. You had a wife, you had a kids. Um, so how did you kind of, I guess, how did you, how did you lay the groundwork and then what, what was it that pushed you to take that calculated risk? Yeah. So I always, I like to make that distinction. I know it's cliche, but it's there, you know, between book smarts and street smarts. And I compare the people that I graduated uh, with uh, from Morton and I compare the people that we have in our mastermind. And it's, 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 it's two different worlds. Uh, and I, I think somehow I figured out how to be at the intersection of the two. I can study, I can learn things fast. I can uh, take what I learn and, and put it into practice. But somehow people see things through a certain lens and they're not giving themselves the chance to reframe uh, how, they, uh, how they see opportunities in life. And I like to always say like, the problem with the W-2, I think it's it's your identity because after a certain number of years, your identity becomes tied to the, your employment. Your employment doesn't do well. You feel terrible and, and the employment does. So you, you create some sort of dependency. And I think it's very important to detach yourself from whatever is your W-2 and kind of look at the bigger picture. After spending too many years in the W-2, people forget that there are opportunities out there that can give them that financial freedom. For example, they could invest passively uh, in, in real estate and start building that those other revenue streams that can already compensate for so, some of their expenses. The problem is they have the W-2, the more they earn, the more they spend, and then it's the golden handcuffs, right? They, they, they feel like to maintain their lifestyle, they need to uh, keep their employment when in reality, there are other ways to do it, like investing as a limited partner on a syndication, uh, looking for other revenue streams, or just surrounding themselves with people that are different. Because a lot of these people, they, okay, I'm a Wharton, Harvard Business School graduate, whatever. I'm going to surround myself with people that have this same mindset and forget that there are people that may be a lot more successful, but haven't necessarily followed the same trajectory. No, that's, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think so many, yeah, I mean, you have all the tools, right? Your network coming out of those skill schools, your, your foundational understanding of, of business fundamentals should provide an incredible foundation. And so many people, uh, you're, you're, you're right. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's an ability to look different. What, um, I'm just curious, what's the biggest leap you've taken? I think that one. Uh, so it's, it's a combination. That moment was critical uh, because I left my W2. I bought a 27-unit building. And then we live in a beautiful neighborhood. I, I used to live in a condo. And we started seeing during COVID these license plates, yellow license plates of people coming from New York. Uh, and we got terrified because we wanted to stay in the neighborhood. We were having more kids. And 
we got an opportunity that we jumped on. So I was also buying a house. Imagine leaving my job, buying a house and also buying a 27-unit building all at once. I, I had the bank. That's a very good point. I had I, I the loans were already secured by the time I, I bought all this. So I, I timed it. Uh, yeah, otherwise I would I wouldn't have been able to to get the loans. That was the biggest leap. And I assure you, I told my wife, we can afford the house, not because I have a W2, we can afford the, the house because we're buying this building and this building is going to help us pay for whatever uh, the, the house requires from a financial standpoint. It was a big leap of faith and a calculated risk. And I assure you, I would be a W2 right now if I didn't make those moves. This is like a topic that juices me up a lot is like taking that risk. Because, you know, it's life, if, if you're going to buy an entrepreneur, in my opinion, it's all about taking that next risk, calculated risk, right? But I actually want to switch it up a little bit and ask you, Cody, what is the biggest leap that you've taken or the biggest risk you've taken in your entrepreneurial career? <laughs> That's probably a good question. I, I I I wish I had a I wish I had a perfect answer. I also left kind of a W two and went out on my own. Um, it wasn't nearly the risk that Medi took, but I did the same things every time I would make moves. I would almost already have the other thing lined up and going. And so when I when I left my W two, I'd already kind of worked out with the company I was working for at my W two to be a ten ninety nine contractor. And then once before I'd hired anybody in my company, uh, I had the income from that. And then before I hired anybody from that company, I'd already, um, I'd already sold another customer, another contract. Um, but honestly, I think probably, probably some of my bigger risks were, I, I guess lately would have been stepping away from my software business to kind of go full in on the private equity firm. The software business turned out a ton of cash flow. I could have lived much differently than I did. I kept my lifestyle pretty, pretty humble and built up a lot of reserves trying to put, you know, putting somebody else in place over that and then going all in on the private equity firm and understanding that like, you know, I'm, I'm introducing risk into the software firm that has been around for 10 years. Um, but really believing in my vision for that and kind of jumping all in and just, just going all in on something, right. And saying, you know, it's a big change, right? You change your entire lifestyle, your entire career, um, your entire focus. And by that point, I was like starting to build a family. And I feel like anytime you've got a family, like the risks, the risks magnify. So I don't know. What about you, Pasha? What, which, what's the biggest leap? I mean, I'm glad I asked you because I was thinking about it as you were answering. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, glad, glad, glad to be put on the spot so you had plenty of time to come up with an awesome answer. Yeah, that's right. I've done that to you a few times only. Um, I would say, I think there's two times in my career that I feel like I was taking a huge risk. Um, the first one was when I decided to take essentially what I had in capital and step away from poker and go invest it into my first flip. I thought, I, you know, and it took me a long time. It took me a lot of like working myself up and understanding what risk is and how to change that narrative inside of myself to go ahead and take it. But I was like, well, shit, man, if I lose this, like I can't play the stakes I want. And then like, you know, I have to start on the bottom again. This sucks. But I did have the confidence of being like, all right, I've done it before many, many times. I, I can do it again. So that was a really big risk. Thankfully, I made a tiny bit of money and got hooked on it. The second risk that I did was I remember I went from flipping my first home in Los Angeles and saying, crap, this is hard to because there's so many players in this space 
to going and then just developing land up construction in Los Angeles on Hillside, right? And putting everything I had into that and just moving to LA and having a ton of expenses and essentially asking my wife to sell her home in, in, in Vegas so I could use that capital to do what I wanted to do. So that was, that was the most stressful time I've ever had. I'm really glad the story came out the way it did because I would never be able to, and that, that was a very stressful time for myself of not, you know, so those, those were the biggest risks I took. But that, I think every entrepreneur at some point, like you were saying, Mehdi, is, is essentially you have to take calculated risks. I knew my math. I did as much research as I could. And I went into it knowing what I knew. And I built a ton of cushion to do it, right? And that's what risk and entrepreneurship is all about. I, I feel like there's less risk in entrepreneurship. Although it may feel like there's less of a safety net. What I've realized with like my buddies that have W-2s, sometimes they're at the whim of their boss or a company that they have very little. I've always, I, I've mentioned this several times where I hate, I hated working for a large corporation because I felt like no matter how, if I worked 80 hours a week, I barely moved the needle for the corporation, right? Like I wasn't given the autonomy or control or anything to be able to have big impacts and corporations are kind of set up in that way to protect themselves. But I'm also just little person in this giant behemoth of a thing and so whatever, the economy could tank, this person could get removed, this corporate board seat gets gets changed, whatever. All these things outside of my control could have a major impact on my employment uh, or just, you know, many people's employments. Or I just, you know, I wake up on the wrong side, of, you know, my boss wakes up on the wrong side of the bed and decides to fire me. And you've only got that one single in income stream. I actually feel like I have much more security being an entrepreneur and especially after having gone through it once, right? I feel pretty confident that if I were to go broke tomorrow, within six months, I could I could be on a $350,000, run rate business starting from scratch. Like very little doubts that I could do that. And that's it. Sounds like a bold statement, but I've built several businesses now and I know all the traps and all the issues and so I feel, I feel way more secure in my position. Sometimes I don't, sometimes I like, you know, you get those cold sweats as an entrepreneur where you're like, oh my God, what if I lose everything I've built? But I also feel like if I, if I lost everything I've built, I can build back versus going out there and trying to do a job hunt while everyone else is like looking for jobs during a recession, for example, right? Can you imagine being in 2008, trying to look for a job every, you know, 45 year old guys, 50 year old guys with Harvard at degrees weren't getting hired, let alone, you know, let alone a, you know, somebody with little experience, et cetera. But there are plenty of people that built amazing businesses coming out of the recession, starting out of the recession with no experience whatsoever. So it is scary, I think, and it's scarier. And sometimes there can be a longer lead time to profitability. But you know, I, 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 I really feel like there is less risk in controlling your own fate than letting somebody else control your own fate. And it may not seem like it, and it may not feel like it sometimes, but I think if you think rationally about it over a long enough time horizon, right, with that long-term view, as Mehdi mentioned, I think, I think it's less risky. I agree with you. Mehdi, in the long-term time horizon, right, can you expand on that? You said you, you always do two steps ahead i mean to, to build on what koji said i for, i completely agree with him i think that it's riskier to work for someone than to be an entrepreneur and i think it's a matter of skills because when you're an entrepreneur you build skills that are survival skills in the real world whereas when you're working in a large company you're 
First of all, you're replaceable and you're a tiny part of the puzzle and the opportunities are limited. I mean, I had an investor from my last deal where that told me, hey, sorry, I, I wanted to invest on your deal, but I'm not because Facebook is laying off people and there's a new round that's coming, whatever. So not having that control is, is at least from my perspective, is a, pro a problem. The other thing, exercise that I've done when I was... Uh, uh, W2 is I looked at the people that were 10 years and speaking of long-term horizon, 10 years ahead of me in their career or 20, like VPs who've been like, let's say with Medtronic for 20 years, 30 years, they've had one job. And the problem is when you keep one job for a long time, you get boxed. And even if you were to look for a job, you, okay, you're the guy who spent 20 years in Medtronic. And I felt that fear they had from their own managers where I could imagine that in, at least in their mind, that the identity they've built over the years is if I lose this, I don't know how easy it's going to be for me to find something else. The other thing I would mention is just in terms of compensation. If you think about the employment, I remember in Medtronic, unless you're changing roles, you would, you're, they would give you a raise of two and a half, three percent. That's if in a good year to grow a business two and a half, three percent, you need to be below average. You need to be like growing a business three percent. It's it's almost impossible. You really need to screw it screw it up on purpose. So in terms of planning ahead, a good example is when I applied for Wharton. I had my essays and in the essays I wrote in details, this is what I want to do for the next, I built a plan for 10, 10 years. And it's amazing. Like when I read back those essays, it's what I had written is exactly what I executed to the letter. And that's also part of, you know, we talk about building vision boards. And you mentioned this in your distinct lesson or the document that we put together before you have stuff to talk about. Uh, you mentioned designing the life you want. So clear back when you were at Wharton, you saw yourself here. No, I mean, I didn't want to go to Miami. I wanted, that was my plan B, but I did when I was in Wharton, I wanted like this corporate career because I wanted to experience being in the business world. And that's how I got experience in sales, market development, marketing, and, and general management. So those were the experiences that I wanted to accumulate within a fortune fortune 500 company and those were planned i knew that i wanted to transition to real estate and had done some real estate in in, in 2000 2001 remodeling condos single family homes i knew i was gonna land there but uh yeah i was i was thinking it through and i think the next 10 years were pretty much programmed or scheduled in some way and that's why it's so important to be careful what you wish for because whatever you wish for you're gonna get <laughs> i i love that you said design the life you want and uh don't let life happen to you i love to expect I, I love the line don't let life happen to you because i also see that happen i'd love to hear what you meant by don't let life happen to you I think you want to be more intentional. I can tell you, like, speaking of being vulnerable, Pasha, you want me to be, you know, in, in friendships. When I was, I didn't have what I have today, the character that I have today, I was still discovering myself and stuff. I would, even if I was interested in knowing someone, I would never take the initiative. Hey, I want to be your friend. Let's let's get to know each other. No, I would, if that person were to reach out to me, then I'm like, oh yeah, I love you. You know, and, and I changed the mindset. I am... I determine who I want to have as a friend and who I don't want to have as a friend. And that's part of making, don't let life happen to you. You are in the driving seat. And I mean, going to business, uh, starting my businesses, growing my real estate portfolio, they took risks, but I was very, very intentional about it. Like right now, if I look at my life, I mean, the city of, like, I couldn't have dreamt living in a better place than Miami Beach. Actually, I have conversations with my wife where we say, 
okay, if we didn't live in Miami Beach, where else would we live? At the moment, we don't see a place that works better for us. My kids, they are like five blocks away from, from my home. Uh, I, I dropped them this morning biking. My work is on Lincoln Road and I own the office so nobody can kick me out. I go skateboard to the office, not having to commute. Yeah, not having to commute, being able to bike and skateboard, bike to your kid's school and, and skateboard to the office. Uh, walking five minutes to the beach. These are all things that I, I, I didn't happen to me by chance. Oh, Mehdi, here, this is the life we give you. No, I designed it. And that should be everybody's priority. I don't think the priority should be, oh, I want to be uh, worth this much because those are just numbers. They're means to an end. I'm not, I, I, I think they're valuable tools. But first and foremost is what, what's your lifestyle? Because time flies like this. And, and if you're not enjoying the journey and just hoping for, okay, I want to be 65 and have so much in the bank, then you've missed the point. You need to enjoy your life along the way. And that's why you design the life you want. This uh, speaks to me so much, Mehdi, because, you know, anytime I do my 10-year vision, I start with lifestyle first, and then I work myself backwards. And when you said that, we, we you know, we ask a jot form to everybody, say, hey, what's your road to 100 million? What's your road to 100% in relationships and health? And he just, the first thing was, that's not my goal. My goal is lifestyle. And it's so true. And you definitely embody somebody who's on the path of entrepreneurship, who's going to get to that mark anyways, but you're going to enjoy your life so much because we meet guys all the time. I, I would say that not so much in GoBundance, but I think in general in other social groups we meet, they're obsessed. They're just obsessed with work and that's it. And I know some of the most successful billionaires in the world and their home life is wrecked. They don't want to be home. They don't want to be around their wife. Their kids are having issues. And I'm just, I'm allergic to that. I can't do that, right? I think it's so valuable. And I know Cody does this too. He has an incredible family life. And so I've, I'm so drawn to that and to you and to designing your life and not just in, for work. I think we talked about this in the last episode, Cody. It's, it's about designing your life in every facet, you know, which I think is super important. But Mehdi, you also like are running like 18 businesses. So like, how the hell are you? That's what I want to know is like, how the hell are you doing this and having a lifestyle and having time for yourself and your, for your family and to cook all the time? I love to cook and host dinners and stuff. That's how I mentioned this actually in the form. That's how I met my wife. But um, the businesses, they're vertically integrated. So one of the things that Cody challenges me on all the time is he says, yes, you want to be one inch wide and one mile deep. I do, uh, I have several businesses. But the way, first of all, the customer for those businesses is the same, is the investor. And then the other thing is uh, the who, not how uh, model, right? So I'm, I'm the CEO of the group. So I oversee the four businesses, uh, property management, brokerage, GC slash plumbing, yeah, it's not it's not eighteen to be fair, but but I do I do always challenge Medi. I I'm a, I'm a huge believer in focus, but uh, but but I'm also not as talented as Medi. But the the reality is I'm I'm focused on investment. I'm the investment engine of the JMK Group. I have someone who's leading property management. I have someone who's leading the brokerage business, and I have someone who's leading the GC. These people are focused in their areas and I'm focused on investment. I think knowing how to build teams, how to build trust, how to build relationships is, is a key. I, you know, when you ask about what's my one thing, that's one thing. Like if I see people, first of all, somehow I attract people that are a good match, but 
if I see people and I believe in them and I feel like we can build something together, I'm not going to shy away. I'll reach out to them and tell them, hey, we could do this together. What do you think? And I've had the chance to attract people that are, extreme, that are very good at what they do. And uh, those people make my life easier and we complement each other. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm going to ask you a question because I know you just started. It's a little, I'm diverting a little bit, but I can't help myself. How has it been for you with not drinking it? I think it's just such an important topic because I think we just all socially do it. And I know Cody loves his wine, so I'm sorry to bring this up, Cody, but... <laughs> Every time I have a little bit too much wine, I'm like, man, I can't even complain to my friends about this because then all none of them are... All, they're, they're all going to be like, well, you could have quit drinking. Well, this is on you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. I'm confident that I'm not going to be ever drinking again because one of the things I optimize for my why my my why and sorry I I don't mean this has not this is not a reflection of people who are drinking but I, I obviously it's just my personal choice. I want to live a long life. That's that's as simple as it. And I believe by not drinking, essentially, uh, I'm. I'm a healthier person, but it's something that I've obsessed with about for very long. Not not the not drinking. It's actually happened by accident because I had a coach that asked me not to drink. I didn't drink for two months to follow the diet, and then eventually you show up, Pasha, and you do your your uh, your challenge, and I jump on the bandwagon, and then it's been five months, six months, and all of a sudden I don't. For me, drinking is almost like a habit. I don't have the habit of drinking anymore, and I wake up full of energy. And there is this thing. I mean, I feel like we are... I've been drinking since I'm 13, 14 years old. And drinking has been... My social life and drinking have been like this. And for me to dissociate the two was very challenging. Like even, you know, when you're a teenager or you're in your 20s, 30s, like that's how you socialize. And I obviously been completely new environment now with my wife, my kids. It's, it was an easier decision, but uh, I, I'm, I'm, I feel as healthy as ever. And it's also a progression. Uh, I mean, just to provide a little bit of background, I'm not drinking coffee for the last eight years. And then I, I stopped drinking soda, so I don't drink Coke and, uh, or Fanta, whatever. Do people still drink Fanta? Like, is that still a soda? If you're an eight-year-old boy, you drink Fanta. Yeah, okay, got it. I was just curious. Right, whatever. So I don't drink soda, soda because, uh, you know, I have an accent, so I want to make sure people understand. And then uh, and then uh, I'm not drinking alcohol. I don't know. Now I'm working a little bit on the red meat thing. But if I can do it, I can be healthier and live a long life. And especially uh, for my kids, uh, I'll do it. And honestly, I feel like I'm much more authentic in everything I do. Like, especially for me, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm an introvert. Uh, I can come across as an extrovert, but I'm an introvert. For me, alcohol was a, a requirement. Like, okay, if I'm going to a social setting, hey, I need, let me have a drink before I do anything else. And it was the same thing with coffee. I felt like I needed my coffee in the morning before I could get to work. No, coffee or I, I don't think even of having a drink as a requirement for me to kick off the day. Same thing, social setting. Okay, I can't talk to anybody, let me go have my drink, and then I'll, I'll socialize. And what I've realized, and then once you start with your first drink, second drink, you, you get more comfortable. And I'm, I honestly, I used to drink four, five, six uh, bottles of wine to myself. And then you wake up like shit the next day. 
Yeah, six sounds like a lot. One for every business. <laughs> <laughs> One for every business. Cody, I'm vulnerable and that's how you treat me? Yeah, Cody, seriously. No, we've been there. <laughs> No, no judgment. I'll I'll give you a pass on this one. You guys are living your lives clean, and I'm over here like a. Yeah, you can't. You gotta excuse him. He's you know he he still drinks, Matty. You know he, he's still one of those drinkers. He's still one of those drinker guys. <laughs> we'll convert him at some point, but not yet. <laughs> oh man! So the other day I went to a went to an engagement party with somebody who I only knew like three people there. It was a huge party. It was like 200 people. And I only knew like three people there, not super well. And for me, you know, going into a situation like that or any party, right? Like, what do you guys, and and as an introvert, I'm also like, kind of like you, Maddie, where I can be extroverted, but not naturally. If I go into a room with a bunch of people I don't know, my, my first instinct isn't to just smile and hug everyone. We're not all like Pasha, you know? No, by the way, we're all introverts here. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent an introvert. I just trained myself to be extroverted if I need to be. How was it at first? It must've been incredibly difficult. And how do you kind of I don't want to say loosen up. That sounds <laughs> sounds like uh, kind of odd, but but yeah, but loosen up. I guess break down those walls. Be a little, um, you know, be a little more just raw and authentic, which I think it's kind of what alcohol, you know, does in a social setting. Like I said, it. I think it's a habit. So you you precondition your brain to think that you need alcohol to be, you know, sometimes you get tipsy and you think you're the coolest guy and you're having great conversation. That's only you thinking that. It doesn't mean that the other person on the other side thinks that. Medi's talking from experience last weekend when I was at his house drunk. <laughs> well, you know how you know that. If you're married, they definitely let you know that you're not the coolest person the next day. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something else, Cody. This is what happens. Next day after having a good night drinking, you think back at the day before. It's happened to me. I'm talking just for myself. And I'm like, shit, I just said that. And then I'm like, and then I, I try to reconstruct and my memory is not 100%. First of all, it's a habit. So you can build the habit of not drinking and then it's natural for you not to drink. Like on Saturday, uh, I invited you, but you declined my invitation. <laughs> Wow. Medi, I would not have declined if I was in Miami, just so you know. Whoa, 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 whoa. I have a pregnant wife who is nauseous and no nanny. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But honestly, I, I had it been in a, like one year back or two years back, I would have felt the need to drink, but I, I didn't even think about it a second. And the other benefit is the conversations are much more genuine, naturally. It's not you're forced to have good conversation. No, you forgot about the fact that you even need to drink. And, and it's, it's, it happens right away. At least that's how I've experienced it. It's really cool. It's, it's good to hear that experience because that is my biggest thing where I'm like, man, that would be incredibly difficult. Pasha, what did you do? It's not easy. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. It's it's not easy. And there's still times that I still find myself thinking, oh, this would be so much easier if I just drank and got like looser. Right. And be more myself and just bond better. And I find, you know, Medi, to touch on your point there, you know, as a kid, as an introvert who didn't really have social skills growing up, I, I like alluded to drinking to get comfortable with people and be myself. And, and what that was like a pattern that you just get reinforced and forced, forced. But like quitting drinking and then realizing that you still want to bond with people, like let's say in a situation like you're at a you're at a party and everyone's drinking and you're like, man, everyone's having a good time and this might be a great experience if I meet people, it becomes harder. But what I have noticed in a real life experience is, you know, you're talking to someone, it's not really going the way you want. And I feel like with drinking, there's that bonding element to it. 
but I feel like you have to, at least for myself, let me talk to myself, I have to step into the, the leader role of that conversation. And I have to lead that conversation, be like, hey, I know random question, but like, this is just the way I am. Boom, I'll hit them with like a vulnerable question, right? That's just, I, I, and so I just feel like I have to step up more to it, but I have insecurities around it, especially when I'm talking with brokers or taking brokers to dinner, right? Brokers, I don't know what it is about commercial real estate brokers. They just all want to get drunk and party. Like that's all they want to do. And I'm like the guy who does, doesn't drink anymore. So I have to find other ways to get to know him. So I feel like I have to step up to the plate more. And then also it's a, it's a fun challenge at this point with the not drinking. The challenge is how do I be myself and how do I make myself fun without having that crutch of drinking? And it allows me to have the same lifestyle tomorrow morning when I wake up and I'm still exercising. So I always have to remind myself the pros outweighs the cons. And for me, drinking is, if that is my intention, right? Sometimes if you just want to celebrate and have a drink, have a drink. We're not shitting on you. But if my intention is I have to have this drink because I want to be more socially uh, available, then I think that's a cop out. And I think that's when you need to like really step into like, all right, how do I create what I want to create without having to have drinks. At least that's my standpoint. So it's, it's, it, and I'll tell you what, I say that, but it's not easy. There are times where I'm like, shit, this would be a lot easier if I could just have some drinks, you know? So I'm just waiting for that magic pill where you don't feel like crap the next day. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think there's anything that makes you feel good the night before. And then you don't feel like crap the next day. We touched on it a little bit earlier, but Mehdi, I know you're an awesome dad and a, and a wonderful husband, uh, and you have a family that loves you so much. Uh, and part of, part of our pod is not just talking about business, but you know, we, we've, we've kind of committed to also talking about what are people doing to hit a hundred in the relationship, hundred on health, which I feel like we've touched. Um, and you know, and obviously a hundred wealth as well, but what are you doing with your, on, on the relationship side? And I know you're really purposeful about it and you've touched a little bit in passing. And I know a few things just cause you and me are good friends, but what are you doing uh, to hit kind of a hundred percent on the relationship pillar? I think number one is you don't want to take the relationship this for granted. And uh, whether it's with the partner or with the kids, I think it requires work and you want to make the other person feel special. You know, the Little Prince uh, book emphasizes time. You want to spend time uh, with your partner. That's, that's essential. And especially with the kids, time with undivided attention. For me, it's a work in progress. I, 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 I try to do it like, you know, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm putting my phone in sleep mode between 6 and 8 p.m. So I can just focus on my kid. And then uh, I'm following your lead, actually, and uh, spending uh, quite some time in this summer uh, in Europe. I, I think travel is extremely powerful. Speaking of the, the family, so my kid, I think when he turned two, he had 12 uh, stamps on his passport, and we've taken him everywhere. And for their development, but also for strengthening the relationship with my wife and my kids. I, I, I try constantly to focus on building experiences, doing things together and, and travel is a big part of it. So I'll be away this summer from uh, mid-June to end of July uh, in Europe. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm super excited for you. You guys, you're obviously Moroccan, so you speak French. So you wanted your kids to speak French. You're going to what, Switzerland? Switzerland, yeah, we'll be in Lugano. Awesome, man. I love the trip away in the summertime. A, because it's ridiculously hot in Miami, but B, really, I mean, the big thing is it's just a, I don't know if you guys ever get this, but you ever take a flight, you take an 
you know, you take a flight and when you're up in the air, you kind of look at everything from a different perspective. Time kind of suspends. You don't got calls and texts and meeting and set and stuff like that. I always think really well on flight. And I feel like time with, uh, you know, time away and with the family. And although I'm still working, um, you know, I'm, I'm much more purposeful. It forces me to be much more purposeful about my time. And it just gives me a totally different perspective on the rest of the year. I think you're really going to enjoy it. And I hope you have a blast. You know, I know you got the four businesses. So the real estate investment business, what are you, what are you kind of focused on right now? Um, and what's, uh, you know, what is the next, what are the next five years? What have you designed? What are the next five years look like for uh, uh, in the real estate investing world? In terms of designing for the future, definitely vision board is a big part of it. So every year I'm building the vision board where I, I have two sections, one on the personal side and one on the, on the business side, uh, real estate is my primary focus. So I am uh, buying commercial uh, properties that I invest in either personally or in JVs. Uh, through JVs or syndications. Um, I want to continue to build that portfolio. I'm spending, uh, you know, when you invest in real estate, there are two kind of uh, primary work stream that you want to work on. So one is uh, uh, finding deals and the other one is uh, raising capital. So I'm, I'm working on those two. Uh, increasing the size of the portfolio while growing the businesses. Those are uh, my focuses. Awesome. Are you focused in any particular area um, or where do you want to be buying property and, and what type of property are you guys focused on? So we typically focus on uh, emerging markets. Uh, we just closed uh, an acquisition uh, last week, uh, actually in, uh, in Oklahoma. We also launched uh, our GC business in Oklahoma to support uh, the acquisitions. So we're going to be executing on the CapEx. Uh, we look at uh, yeah the south, southeast of the U.S. as a target market. That's awesome, man. I'm excited to see everything that you're going to do in this space and your ability to kind of help other people that have been in the W2 space break into real estate. I know you've got just an awesome story, so you could really understand where they're coming from. Um, I think it's going to be really powerful. I'm excited to see your business grow and uh, and support you along the way. Where um Where can people find out about you? All right. Uh, yes, please follow me on Instagram. At, uh, I think the, the tag is invest with Medi. And uh, feel free to reach out. My email is Medi at gemkpropertyinvestment.com. Uh, you know, as you evolve in your career, you, you want to pull people with you along the way. So uh, feel free to reach out. I, I want to give back and help others. So I would love to hear from you. Awesome. Man, thank you so much, Mehdi. It was, uh, I, I, I love hearing from you. You've just got an amazing perspective. Everything that you shared today, I think it's going to be incredibly useful to the listeners. And uh, I really value our friendship. Thanks for coming on and taking time with us. Um, I'm super excited to see everything that you continue to build, continue to crush it on, uh, you know, everything from, you know, your investing business to, uh, to your, to, to your, uh, construction business. So thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah. Thank you, Matty. Appreciate you. Thank you guys. I really enjoyed the conversation. All right, guys, that's the pop. All right. So that's it for this episode of road to 100. Thank you so much for watching or listening. All the links and resources that we mentioned are going to be linked down in the video description or in the show notes. And depending on where you're watching or listening to this, if you're listening to this on a podcast platform, then please make sure to leave us a five-star review because it truly helps new people to discover the podcast. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, then you can leave your comment below and ask any questions, insights, or thoughts about the episode. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button.